Today's episode of Your Stories is sponsored by Cards Against Humanity. They asked us not to read an ad, so enjoy the show! Your Stories is a wonderful opportunity to share all the highs and lows of being a nerd. You know that hobby you have that you don't talk to anyone about? It's a secret you don't like to share because it might make you feel weird. Maybe you're into something different. Uh, comic books, fantasy football, push-ups. Your Stories, to me, has been this really kind and welcoming space where people just have the guts to be really honest and they share their voices and their stories with everyone there, no questions asked. Uh, I've heard stories about all those things. Uh, maybe not not a lot of push-ups. I maybe haven't heard a lot of stories about push-ups. The Nerdalogs is group therapy meets Toastmasters. I know there's always a place where my odd thoughts and unusual habits will be welcomed and championed in a warm, supportive environment by other nerds just like me. And what's fun is you'll see people in the audience one month, and then all of a sudden they uh, go up and tell their story. So your story becomes their story, and their story is your story, and then it's our story, and then it's a podcast, so it's everybody's story, and then you've shared it, and gosh, that's great, huh? And even if you don't think you're a nerd, you probably are. It's easily the most Midwestern thing I've ever been a part of. Hi, everybody. I'm Eric Garneau, and this is the Nerdalogs Presents Your Stories podcast. This week, we've got the first of two episodes featuring the fantastic local organization Sit, Stay, Read, which is a group that helps promote literacy in underprivileged classrooms using dogs, which kind of sounds like magic and is super amazing. I love them so much. Sit, Stay, Read brought a handful of storytellers, plus we've got some Your Stories favorites reflecting on the theme Dog Days of Summer. So this episode, you'll hear stories from returning champs Henry Birdseye and Logan Dean, plus poet Dan Smart and Sit, Stay, Read volunteer Nancy Chacon, and some songs about summer from myself, Dwight Hassler, and Katie Johnston-Smith. The dog songs are coming next episode, I promise. If you want to learn more about Sit, Stay, Read, you can go to www.sitstayread.org and learn all about their mission and how you can help. We raised some money for them at the show a few weeks ago, but they can always use more, and of course they can also use volunteers, so maybe consider tossing them a few dollars or your time uh, and support their excellent efforts. And before we get to the show, just one plug for us. The next live Your Stories recording is happening Sunday, August 20th at the Beat Kitchen, and we're celebrating the Silver Screen with featured guests from the Cinema Jaw podcast and a bunch of other wonderful people. The theme, appropriately, is at the movies. If that makes you want to share a story, email a brief pitch to yourstories@nerdalogs.com and we'll get back to you ASAP. Would be sweet to see you there. It's going to be a great time. Uh, with that said, I think it is time for Summer and Dogs, don't you? And we're going to play some songs about summer and some songs about dogs. So, get excited. <laughs> yeah! Starting with, uh, this is the first single from an artist who, I won't tell you who he is, but Todd Rundgren produced his album, and he only did it because he said, I thought this guy was like a joke version of Bruce Springsteen. <laughs> so, all right, there's a little skit that accompanies this song, although it was cut from the single version. On a hot summer night, would you offer your throat to the wolf with the red roses? 
Will he offer me his mouth? Yes. Will he offer me his teeth? Yes. Will he offer me his jaws? Yes. Will he offer me his hunger? Yes. Again, will he offer me his hunger? Yes. And will he starve without me? Yes. And does he love me? Yes. Yes. On a hot summer night, would you offer your throat to the wolf with the red roses? Yes. I bet you say that to all the wolves. One, two, three, four. It was a hot summer night and the beach was burning. There was fog crawling over the sand. When I listen to your heart, I hear the whole world turning. I see the shooting stars falling through your trembling hands. You were licking your lips and your lipstick shining. I was dying just to ask for a taste. We were lying together in a silver light. By the light of the moon, you know there's not another moment. Not another moment. Not another moment to waste. Will you hold me so close and my knees grow weak But my soul is flying high above the ground I'm trying to speak but no matter what I do I just can't seem to make any sound And then you took the words right out of my mouth Oh, it must have been while you were kissing me Yeah, you 
a joke Bruce Springsteen. Um, <laughs> although, fun fact, so uh, two members of the E Street Band play on that track. Roy Bitten does piano and Max Weinberg does drums because Meatloaf didn't have his own band. He just borrowed other bands. Uh, I love Meatloaf, though. <laughs> Alright. Oh, this is Dwight. That's Katie. I'm Eric. Hi, everybody. Hi. We're good at this. <laughs> Running a show. <laughs> Only been doing it six years. Alright.
inside my head said, don't look back, you can never look back. I thought I knew what love was, what did I know? Those days are gone forever, but I should just let them go. But I can see you, your brown skin shining in the sun. warming you up, although you'll see us again. We're here for stories. Well, like I said, the theme is dog days of summer, so I don't know, you might hear about dogs or summer or heat or some fourth thing that I haven't anticipated yet. <laughs> Let's find out together, starting with this gentleman, has done the show a number of times. He's been in our year-end best ofs uh, a lot for usually stories uh, about about dating travails, I feel like. I don't know what's in store, but man, please go into our archives and listen to some of this dude's stories. They are incredible, especially one called Karen. Please go find that story. Uh, this is Henry Birdseye. <laughs> I have two dogs, sometimes. Sometimes I have two dogs. I share custody of them with an ex-girlfriend, uh, someone I was with for nine years. I used to have one dog. My ex and I adopted him a few years into our relationship. He was a nine-year-old Pekingese. His name was Duke. His owner was apparently an old man in rural Michigan who'd take him on rides in his pickup truck. And then the old man died, and Duke needed a home, and eventually he ended up with us. Duke was great for many reasons, but one of them was that he gave my ex and I something to talk about other than why our relationship probably wasn't working. <laughs> there was an elephant in the room, but there was now also a dog, and at least we could talk about the dog. Um, when Duke got older, we worked together to keep him alive and healthy as long as we could. Toward the end, there was this moment where my ex was dropping him off at our local vet so they could watch him for the day. Only, he was sick, so on the walk over there, she was carrying him, and he pooped all over her. Which meant she had to keep walking to the vet with poop on her, which made it clear the poop was because of the dog, but then she dropped the dog off and she had to walk home without him, still covered in poop, which meant she was just a lady on the street covered in poop, a poop lady, with no immediate explanation for the poop. We may not have been in love anymore, but it was nice to be able to share moments like that, moments where you're covered in dog shit and you need to laugh about it with someone. A few months later, Duke was gone, probably pooping on someone up in heaven, and we had, and we had no dogs. And we mourned together, and then after a month, we sat down and tried to answer a very serious question. Is it time for us to finally... Is it time for us to finally get another dog? So we got another dog. Um, we had one dog, Barney. And then a couple months later, we got another dog, Jay. We had Barney and Jay, because obviously Barney needed a buddy. Only it turns out Barney and Jay didn't even like each other. They didn't hate each other either. They were just like two college freshmen who roomed blind and had nothing in common. They were pretty much like, hello, I don't know who you are or why we're living together. I don't plan on hanging out much, but I'll probably eat next to you twice a day and sleep next to you at night. See you around. So, 
So then we had two dogs. We had doubled down on our previous strategy of adding animals to our apartment until we fell in love again, and surely that was enough to keep us together. We broke up a year later. It was a friendly enough breakup. We both admitted we were sad, and so I pretty much said, okay, see you around. I'm going to find an apartment on Craigslist and restart my life. I told my grandfather about this, and he simply said, I'm sorry you wasted nine years of your life. This hurt, but I shrugged it off because I don't think you're allowed to yell at old people. And then I didn't have dogs. My ex said we could share them, but when I first moved into my apartment, it was barely appropriate for me to live in, let alone dogs. For the first couple weeks, I was sleeping at an air mattress, and I hadn't bought bedding yet, so I was draping a winter coat over myself whenever I slept. A couple trips to Ikea later, I got my apartment together, partially because I knew I'd never see my dogs again if I kept sleeping using a heavy coat as a blanket like a doofus. My ex traveled a lot, so I became the designated babysitter, which meant I saw the dogs a couple times a month. I was a weekend dog dad. The first time I had them for the weekend, it was a hot summer day, and they were panting and uncomfortable, so I went out and bought the best air conditioner I could afford. After I installed the air conditioner in my window, I picked each of them up and held them in front of the air conditioner as if to tell them this new second apartment was going to be an okay place to be. My ex and I have maintained this arrangement for over three years now. Last month, my ex texted me on a Monday night to let me know she was at the vet emergency room with Jay. She was probably go- he was probably going to be fine, but I could come by if I wanted to. She just wanted to let me know. So I dropped everything and went straight to the emergency room. She explained to me that she had given Barney a raw hide to chew on, and then he ate it in almost one bite, almost immediately, and then she left. And then she guesses that after she left, Barney probably barfed up the rawhide, and Jay was like, hey, free rawhide, and he gobbled it down before Barney could eat it again. (laughs) And now he had this rawhide in his throat, and his breathing was labored, and he wasn't in the worst shape, but at least we knew, you know, he's probably going to be okay, but he's not doing great. So we figured he'd be fine. Which meant we were now just sitting at the vet. Me and this woman I was with for nine years just sitting in a sad waiting room for who knows how long. We made small talk. She'd moved in with her new boyfriend and that seemed to be going well. I just started a new job. During my job hunt a couple months earlier, my estranged grandfather had texted me two words. Self-employed? We hadn't talked for a while. (laughs) But I know he checked my Facebook page to get that information. I didn't reply to him. I think he was so disappointed in me for not getting married that he unfriended me on Facebook. Do you know what that's like to check your grandfather's Facebook page and Facebook is like, hey, do you know this guy? (laughs) You've you've got friends in common, like your mom and and your dad and your two brothers. Do you want to add this guy on Facebook? Do you want to add your grandpa here on the website, facebook.com? So when I was a couple weeks into my new job, I texted him that I'd found a new place to work and I was happy. He replied that he was happy to hear from me and that I should keep in touch. That was the morning before I got the text about Jay. So then I was sitting in this waiting room with my ex-girlfriend waiting on x-ray results for my sick dog. And I got the following text. It was a bitmoji of my grandfather in a bed with the words bedtime above a cartoon version of my grandfather. (laughs) And then the words bedtime for me. Sleep well, my love. Missing you as always. Talk to you manana. Tia more mi corazon. And then 11 emoji hearts. And then a pause. And then the message. Ignore texts. Meant for someone else. (laughs) I replied, I figured. No worries. And then he replied, L. And then a pause, K, because he'd spelled K wrong. (laughs) I showed my ex and we both laughed, and that made sitting in an emergency room so much easier. The tension was broken. We both felt better. 
Then the vet told us that Jay had barfed up the rawhide that just seems to be the rawhide that all the dogs barf up. And his breathing went back to normal. My ex drove me home and we made plans for me to watch the dogs the next weekend. And I realized that even though I have two dogs sometimes, it's still better than having two dogs always and being unhappy for the rest of your life. And I never thought I'd be grateful to go through what's essentially been a practice divorce where the breakup is less expensive and the children are dogs. <laughs> but it's been good. And so long as we're able to keep working together, I feel like everything will end up A-O-L. Sorry. <laughs> K. K. Hey, like I said, a pro. Henry, we're dying to know, did you and your grandpa ever become Facebook friends? No. Oh, man. We'll exchange a couple more texts that are actually <laughs> intended for each other. <laughs> you gotta take it slow, yeah, I understand. So I shouldn't go friend in and be like, what's the deal? You're I mean, feeling it out. <laughs> I'm gonna invite Henry's grandpa to the next show, you guys. It's gonna be awesome. <laughs> Coming next to the stage, so I mentioned that we have Sit, Stay, Read in the house. Uh, you're gonna hear a little more about what they do from people involved in the organization throughout the night, but just to give you a bit of a primer. So they are a group that uses dogs to help uh, kids with liter like engage with literacy. They'll bring dogs to classrooms and have kids read to the dogs, and then uh, that, that gets the kids engaged with reading, and it gets them playing with dogs, and it makes the dogs happy because kids are paying attention to them. It's just magical. Like it, I can't imagine a better organization in the world than that. And they have brought three people here to share stories with us tonight, starting with a gentleman I went to high school with, an incredible keyboard player uh, back in, in the day. I don't know. Are you still active in bands? I don't even know. Ish? Uh, I'm, yeah, I'm like, I, I spend jolly if you Okay. <laughs> a Spengali of the keyboards. This is Dan Smart. <laughs> Thank you, guys. Um, so I am going to read some poems for you guys. Uh, I'm latterly also a, 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 a poet, and I try to I try to think about dogs or summer. It was easier for me to think about summer than dogs. I, I do write about dogs, though, because um, I am attached to... Uh, a sit stay read person whom you'll hear from later and uh, we are both nuts about our dog but those things that I write about our dog were cuter than I thought they would be to me <laughs> <laughs> but when you try to but when you have to read something out loud you know it's just like I don't think so but so these are kind mm -hmm. of like I'm going to do the summer thing but I'm sure there will be much more about dogs but um, so there's like some sunshine and there's some night. There's suns, there's moons, there's flowers. There's, it's it's going to be good. There also are veiled musical references in most of them, so maybe that'll that'll keep my uh, my band, my musical cred up. So here we go. They're, and they're short, so no worries. I'm not gonna. But this is called this is called Common Crow Poem. Through endless fields of fire blue ozone, weightless but oppressively cloudless, she alone goes slowly wheeling, dragging a ragged black cloak on secret invisible breezes. Breezes which she seems to carry and keep underneath her, even in this stilted dead center of summer while two opportunistic eyeballs, sharp pebbles of obsidian, scan the heather which rustles and sighs beneath 
a few drooping deciduous Midwestern treetops. She, the one uniquely American scavenger, she never rests, but neither does she work. She doesn't pray, but she does not hunt. When she spies a good meal, she laughs and she coughs both at once, making known to all of us down below the peculiar nature of this shared paradox, the grim intransigence of our own good luck. Uh, this next poem is called Concurrence. Under the commodious shade of a poplar, the wind purring indiscriminate through its summer carapace of leaves, thought I could see, in broad daylight, Orion and the Big Dipper faithfully mirrored in the furtive freckles of a tiger lily. The blossom, common among its sisters, was a pure grimace of confession, unblinking, staring straight, and contentiously skyward. It delivered maternally, yet very matter-of-factly, like an old matronly administrator would. Well, how do you think all these different things around here discovered the one place where they all fit together? Whether we choose to admit it or not makes no difference. The fact is we are always, 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 always living in a neighborhood. Uh, this poem is called Parable. In ragged fields, foregrounding lattice electricity pylons, honeybee drones flit industriously between rusty sunflowers, crisp clover, snapdragons, wild foxglove, and marigolds. Hardly noticing anything pretty about their workplace scenery, they are too busy, hauling the sticky, messy effluvia, spiriting away all they can hold, off to the dank, furtive folds of their own incommodious comb. To vomit and then reconsume, spit and fan again and again, compressing into waxen tombs, one Spartan cube at a time, of something they weren't designed to understand. Nuggets of food for huge old gods. This poem is called, uh, this next one is called Proposition. Poor flowers. Coaxed by the sun's warm fingers, harassed by the quick rhythms of a few passing insects, cajoled by the tickle of sticky, moist earth into opening up, emptying out their innermost spaces completely, and exposing every last particle and filament of their frail and shy beauty to a wide world so far beyond their comprehension, only to wind up abruptly shriveled by wind, wheedled by rain, drained dry and left in the retreating light to wilt and die shortly thereafter. And yet, they do not die how you think that they might. Not of fright, and certainly not of embarrassment. This poem is called, I Sit and Meanwhile Back. Take care. It's getting harder and harder to be somebody out here. Despite blue suburban skies, there's a furious, mad, but directionless wind that keeps blowing and blowing on the street, and nobody else can see it. It's yours alone, and it's blowing you nowhere. And even McCartney's greatest metaphors seem to hold no sway anymore. Things just are what they are, and you know it when they aren't anymore. For instance, all those penny lanes you remember, dazzling, uncountable miles of them in all sizes, far-flung, shade and sun-spangled, 
might be stopping up your ears and your eyes, but not a single one of them will ever exist the way you really need it to as pavement, as asphalt and rebar and paint and concrete underneath your sore and intransigent feet. This poem is called Midnight Blues. You don't know a lot, but you think it's safe to assume that all things are desperate to open up and show you what they've got. You suspect there are all kinds of feelings you just haven't met the words for yet. Last night you could see the shiny, milk-white quarter moon ringed with tiny forever stars and cradling the ghost of the full moon in its spindly arms, and you felt willing to bet someone or something was out there trying to forget everything that has ever happened, and yet, in the process, inadvertently thinking of something really big that hasn't yet. Uh, two more quick ones for you here. This poem is called Apollo, Atmospheres and Soundtracks. It's like when you wake and you walk out the front door alone and the morning's all mud silver, silent beads of dew on green-blue hostas in the wet dirt, spring to mind visions of faraway planets whose hot, remotest jungles and freezing cold, untrammeled beaches are airless, soundless vistas where you can't smoke cigarettes anymore and music won't exist and which you'd practically have to be dying to visit. Um, thank you. I have one more for you guys. It's called National Anthem. Ever notice, whenever you're sure you've got something worth saving, it's because you can sense that it won't be sticking around for much longer? It's like trying to savor a frosty, tall chocolate malt without watching it melt away into thick milk on a soft July night. Or the pleasant desperation of a big group of people who all know each other singing along to the summer's biggest radio song at an all-night party on the back lawn. Where the lyrics consist only of the track's total runtime counting down to zero, sung one half decibel more quietly each second. And the underlying chords contain every single melody line of a universe filled with vibrating strings each giving its own independent, self-centered concert, all stacked up on top of one another, and each one just so happening to sound out simultaneously once or twice, giving off the very temporary illusion that none of this is nonsense. Thank you. Bengali have keyboards and poetry. I, I wasn't uh, didn't want to mention this in the intro, but uh, I was actually listening to a CD from one of your high school bands earlier because I was looking for songs about dogs, and one of your albums has a track called. Do you remember? Oh, my dog ate my surfboard. I believe it was "Me Dog Ate Me Surfboard." Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Classic. It's so good. It's like this surf rock. That's me doing the, that vocal. Yeah. 
The only problem is there's no lyrics in the whole thing. <laughs> That's true. It's not really poetry. It's just that line and then keyboard. saying, me dog ain't me surfboard. <laughs> classic. Classic Dan. Guys, thank you. Thank you so much for that, Dan. Uh, coming up next to the stage, we have a volunteer for Sit, Stay, Read. Uh, thank you for bringing the summer, by the way. I think we're going to switch back to dogs. I don't know. Maybe we'll keep alternating. That would be nice. We don't want to lean. We don't want to appear that we favor dogs too much over summer, right? Like, we must appease the sun god after all. But coming next to the stage, volunteer for Sit, Stay, Read, Nancy Chacon. Last Saturday, we were hanging out with some friends of ours, and um, I kind of had a self-realization moment when I went to leave, and their five-year-old came up to me and handed me a note, and it just said, dogs with a heart and as I was leaving the house I kind of thought maybe I talk a little too much about my dogs maybe just maybe I need to tone this down a little bit um or find a good outlet for it huh see so that's what I did tonight so there you go so I have three dogs right now I have a 13 year old um that is a little crazy. His name is Riley. I have a delinquent five-year-old named Ginger. Just to let you know a little bit about Ginger, if Ginger was like my real-life human child, she would be in prison. (laughs) I am sure of it because um, she is always scheming and plotting. And uh, this is the last guy that joined our family. This is Chester. My husband and I, we volunteered for a foster organization back in New Jersey, and one day I got a call to go and pick up a uh, dog at the shelter. When I got to the shelter, um, they said, oh, that dog's not ready to go. So I turned around and I saw this thing, and I thought, well, he's cute, he's small, he will go fast, so why not foster him? He hasn't left yet. Um, turns out he has, uh, some trust issues being that, uh, he has found somebody to trust in me and he won't leave me ever. He does not like anybody but me. So one day, um, we're living in New Jersey and we're about to move here to Chicago. My aunt decides that she is going to come and help me put my house on the market and she is going to, um, come to Chicago and look for houses with us. So that was really great help. I had to go pick her up at the airport. I've only had Chester for about two months. So I um, decided, uh, against the advice of my husband, to take Chester to the airport with me to pick up my aunt. Um, On the way up there, he was strapped in the front seat with his little seatbelt harness, wearing his little jacket, looking all cool. And then when I got to the airport, I parked in the parking garage, and uh, I looked over at him in the front seat and thought, I should unclip him because my aunt's probably going to want to travel back in the front seat. So the second I unclipped him, I kind of thought maybe this is a bad idea. It's a little foreshadowing for you. Um, So I went to get out of the car and somehow he slips, slips between me and the door and he's out and he is running like a bullet. And this is Newark airport. And so he is running in a parking garage in Newark Airport. So I'm running downstairs. I'm trying to find him. I'm looking at the tracks. Now I've seen that he's gone down the stairs. Well, I'm in trouble because I have no idea where he is at this point and no idea how to find him. I look 
around to see if there's a security guard. There is not. There's a big red phone for emergencies. And I thought, well, this seems like an emergency. So I call up. Newark Airport has their own police force. <laughs> so um, the phone connected me to the police, at which point when I told them that there was a dog loose in the airport parking garage, about five cops showed up. <laughs> um, so uh, I am now trying to explain to the police officers how my dog got loose and um, what, what he looks like so they can find him. Um, they think that they have seen his tracks down on the first floor, so I'm down there. All of a sudden, the policeman that's standing next to me, his walkie goes off, and all I hear is, I got eyes on him on the fifth floor. <laughs> now he's like a wanted criminal or a suspect or something. So I run upstairs to the fifth floor, and I see the cop, and the cop says to me, I think I saw him. I think I saw him. What does he look like? And I'm like, well, he's a little blonde dog. And I thought I saw blue. I'm like, yes, he was wearing a coat. He was wearing a blue coat. Okay. So he goes over the walkie and he says, suspect is wearing blue coat with an orange hood. And the, the other cop calls back, copy? What? And he's like, I swear to freaking God, dude, an orange hood. Just go. I was like, okay, so this this is the little jacket. This is the little orange hood. You can't see it very well right there, but that is what he was wearing. Yes, and so um, next thing I know, cop has him. Tester with his trust issues, I was a little nervous, but the other cop raises him up like Simba <laughs> to the gods, and he's just like sitting there with his paws out like this, and he is like, What's going on? What's going on? Like, this was real fun. And the cop goes, got him. So that's the story about how Chester got loosed in the airport. (laughs) (laughs) Thank you, Nancy. Thank you, Chester. I'm so glad Chester was all right. Oh, man. That sounds horrifying. Also, I really like the Jersey accent. Thank you for bringing a little East Coast color to this. I swear third to God, dude. <laughs> swear to God. All right, guys, we have one more storyteller, then we're going to take a brief break. This gentleman is a show producer, a podcaster, a, a, a gamer extraordinaire, and a great dude to boot, Mr. Logan Dean. So I made like a list of dumbass shit I did during the summer, like over my whole life that I was going to share. But um, but something happened today. One of my heroes passed away. Um, George Romero. He's a director. He directed Night of the Living Dead, Dawn of the Dead, Day of the Dead, a bunch of other zombie movies, The Crazies, Creep Show. Um, he kind of invented the independent film. Uh, he died. He was seventy-seven. Died after a lengthy battle with lung cancer. Um, so it got me thinking, like, how... It was weird. A bunch of memories came up. So I, and I think I've talked about this on the show before, was an indoor kid growing up. <laughs> and every summer, I lived less than a mile from a video store, family video. Um, so I would get on my bike every single day, and I would go and drop off a stack of VHS tapes and pick up a stack of VHS tapes. <laughs> So I'd pop them in my backpack, I'd go home. This is before I um, started uh, hanging out with people. <laughs> so I would watch these movies, and every time I'd get a new stack, I'd always get something like I liked. Like Because I was an idiot kid, there were like 
you know, Kevin Smith films in there. Um, <laughs> and then I love horror movies because when I was seven, um, a babysitter let us watch the original Amityville Horror. Um, and it was terrifying, but it was incredible at the same time. And it changed how I saw a film and it changed how I felt about being scared and like how that fear, instead of me running from it, I kind of embraced it a little more. Um, and so that's where I kind of get into Ramiro because I, one of the movies I would rent all the time was Dawn of the Dead, the original Dawn of the Dead, which incredible film. If you've never seen it, it changed the way people thought about independent film and how effects were made and how you can tell a horror story without it being schlocky or maybe put some message into it. And I realized that I didn't know about like subliminal message or like tone or theme until I started watching Ramiro's films because all of his films though under the guise of a, a horror movie with zombies have some message built into them some socioeconomic like spin like Night of the Living Dead is about race relations in America at in the late 60s which is it doesn't it's not immediate but as you watch it and, and think about it that's what's there. Um, Dawn of the Dead is about consumerism and how it drives people more than emotional bonds do. And Day of the Dead is about the military industrial complex eventually just taking over all of us, which it's sort of doing too. So, and then like, uh, Planet of the Dead is about like rich people owning everything. <laughs> Weird. Um, <laughs> but I started to notice that his films always had that deeper level. Um, that other thing that, like, a Friday the 13th part 12 doesn't have. <laughs> or, like, uh, something that John Carpenter tries to do really often in his films is, like, give it a little bit of message, but he's just on another level, and his message is, like, way beyond anything you can really comprehend until it gets to, like, in your face. Like, this is about consumerism. This is about uh, Kurt Russell. Um, <laughs> they're all about Kurt Russell. <laughs> So instead of me telling you like how I went to the Vans Warped Tour five times, which was a dumb thing to do five times, uh, I thought I'd just share a little bit about what this person meant to me and how he kind of changed how I saw things. Thanks. Thank you, Logan. That's really sad about George Romero. I, I had no idea. I mean, yeah, that's... Man, what a bummer. Uh, certainly a great filmmaker. Uh, and yeah will be missed. Uh, Dwight, Katie, you guys want to do one more song? Yeah. Yeah. No. Dwight, come here. <laughs> I'm gonna Don't you it. feel bad about how mean you are to your dog after the lovely stories that everybody told? <laughs> no. <laughs> <laughs> um, you guys are going to know this one, so... Um, also, something important to note about this song is that it employs um, the mom's spaghetti rhyming couplet. So think about that. It's not that song. It's not, but that's the song that you yes, know, you're well, referencing. So uh, just think about like what that means for um, like musicality and like um, literature or something. Yeah, the song is very literary. Yeah. Definitely. Mom's spaghetti rhyming structure. Cool. Uh, yeah. One, two, three, four. Yes. Hey, you know what? You know what, dude? You know what I like about summer? What's that? When the girls stop by, you know. Katie. What? Women, please. Oh, you're right, Eric. I'm woke as fuck. You are woke as fuck. Women doesn't rhyme with this much. Yeah. 
new kids on the block had a bunch of hits. Chinese food makes me sick, and I think it's fly when girls stop by for the summer. For the summer, I like girls that wear Abercrombie and Fish. I'd take her if I had one wish, but she's been gone since that summer. Since that summer. This has been a Nerdalogs production. If you'd like to help make more things like this, please visit patreon.com slash nerdalogs to donate today. 
and go to www.nerdwalks.com for more cool stuff. Thanks for being awesome. Thank you all. Thank you all. I am Grabbot23548X.